Hey, this is Andy Jenkins, and welcome back to the podcast. This week, I'm doing, well, it's one of those in the coaches series where I endeavor to bring an expert from one of the, I really try to go to the seven key areas of life, so let me walk with you through them real quick. Fitness, finance, family, faith, field, which would be your career or whatever you do full-time with your time, and then friends and fun. And so really one of the arguments that we have is those are all important areas and you wanna be balancing and growing in each of those. Think of those areas like a wheel and each of those areas is a spoke of that wheel. Now, if one goes down a little bit, not a big deal, but if you lose one, the wheel will still roll. You lose two, you might actually just flat and stop making progress altogether. So you think of it in terms of just uh, some of the real world stuff we experience. A lot of people give themselves completely to their field, completely to their work at the expense of family, and then progress just halts. Or you've got great ideas that'll change the world, but then you let your health go, you can't change the world if you're sick on the couch. So each of these seven areas, they're all important. Now, this one, I'm, I'm trying to figure out if I put this in the coaches series or I attach this to the soul wholeness series because this one is hyper important and maybe we'll resolve it by the end of it. I've got my friend here, Ingrid Cook. She is married to one of my favorite people on the entire planet and is a mom to several of my, like you know those are my goddaughters, right? Yeah, and yeah. godsons. Um, and so she's really connected in this incredible way to kind of the Jenkins household here. And she became, through a story that we're going to talk about, a coach to help people overcome addiction. Okay, so welcome, Ingrid. Thanks okay. for coming Thank into. You. We're in the okay. tiny house downstairs. <laughs> this is awesome. Tell, okay, so when you say like you're an addiction coach, instantly people go to the world of rehab. Right. And they think of somebody that's an addict as somebody that's shooting up a needle, right. as someone that's on the street. That is, from my experience in addiction, that's kind of one stereotype. Mm -hmm. But like, let's talk through because yeah, it is nobody would look at you and ever think, oh, she never struggled with anything. Oh, I've done at lots all of market research. <laughs> Why? Well, I, I know you bet you that's have. So we come this way, and um, so first of all, I just want to say thank you for having me here because this message has been brewing in me for most of my life and I really didn't even know it was brewing but um, I brought something to show you Andy that this is my first like grown-up real fancy kind of Bible that my friend Julie Pruitt gave to me around yeah. 1990 look what I wrote in here that was around 1991 I you think. wrote this to yourself I, I, well I it was it. a booming voice that I heard in the night that I am saying this was God's voice to me yeah and he said I love you and want you, want to, you be to be free, free. And I didn't really know what that meant exactly then. I was just like, wow, this is cool. And it was just such an insistent voice that I said, I'm taking out a Sharpie. I'm going to take a picture I'm, of that. I'm going to put that, yeah, I'm gonna you're put that on the, notes, uh, the show I notes said, here. I'm taking a Sharpie and I'm using my best handwriting to write it in this Bible. That I mean, this was, I didn't grow up knowing about Jesus and all of that. And so this was still really new to me. And that was a very unusual voice that I heard, and I, I knew it was significant. And now, 
it's all coming to play. Now I'm understanding it. And um, so let's see, you say addiction coach. It's not really addiction, it's more habit, okay? Um, so I'm not really working with people who need medical attention for their phys any physical kind yeah, of... Yeah, that's probably a good word because, yeah, if you need medical attention... You I'm not the one to go to. You need to go to the doctor. <laughs> I am a doctor of chiropractic, but that's not in my scope of practice. So I am clearly, you know, we're not that. It's more for habit. And um, the people that I want to reach are people like me who think, oh no, this, this alcohol, it's just frustrating. It's, I just keep wanting to have a drink. So and you're it's focusing getting to be a on problem. alcohol. I'm focusing on alcohol right now, yeah, yeah, and that might expand, but the the tools and strategies that I've learned can be applied to like any habit, really, because a lot of it is focusing on your positive emotion, and there's been so much science-based research done that people change by emotion. That's a massive factor there. I've heard that that's true. Mm -hmm. And then they tend to logically back up what they've already emotionally decided. Is that accurate? Or, Explain like, what you're saying. People make decisions based on emotion. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They yeah, change yeah, yeah, based yeah. on emotion. Oh, yeah. And then they'll justify good, it afterwards. Yeah. For good or bad. Right. And then right. afterwards, like they, I mean, even like I can think, not, it's not always a negative. Like I can look back at times in my life where I've made positive changes and they were initially sparked by emotion. Totally, totally. And, and that's how people buy logically. things. Like you want to go and buy a new car, you'll you'll first fall in love with the car and then be like, okay, well, it does have good financing. So, you know, you're not it'll going... It'll be cheaper to do this than repairing the old one that's yeah, paid off, yeah, even though it's not. Yeah, you start convincing yourself of all the reasons why, but your first action is because you fell in love with the car and you're making your decision because based on emotion. Based on the emotion. So, emotions drive our behaviors. That's a really important fact has been scientifically proven over and over again. Um, I really like some of the work by B.J. Fogg. He's a professor at uh, Stanford University, and he's just, he's a lot of fun to read. He has a book called Tiny Habits, and, um, and he just says, you know, people, we change because we want to feel good. We change better by feeling good than feeling bad. So the program that I like to work with people, it's totally based on self-compassion, and it's grace-led, it's, it's encouraging, it is not a shame-based kind of a thing, like, oh, you loser, you failed again. <laughs> right. It's not, because that is not going to compel anybody to change. And, um, well, so it may for a little bit, things. and then it, but for that, the moment, but long-term, it can't. Exactly, exactly. That kind of change is solely willpower-based. And that will not last. And that has been scientifically proven over and over and over again. You know, it's okay in the short term, but long-term change will not survive when it's willpower-based. Um, not in a happy sense, anyway. You'll always be left with a sense of deprivation and fear of missing out or, like, and pity party stuff. Like, oh, I wish I could drink like a normal person. Why can't I do it? And, well, I can't, so I won't. And on goes another day. And that just sounds awful to me. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's an imprisonment. And like I said in the very beginning, I wanted freedom. And I um, was definitely drinking more than I intended to, more than I wanted to. And, but I was so frustrated because I didn't know what to do about it. And 
I didn't consider myself an alcoholic. I didn't consider myself a hardcore addict or something like that. Um, I didn't know where to turn and, and nobody really wants to talk about it. Just the subject itself is so like shameful to even talk about. Um, and we don't know anything about it. You know, it's, there's so much, there's a sad lack of knowledge about what alcohol actually does to your body. You know, we know more about what Advil does to you than alcohol does to you on a general public scale. Um, so you're right. We can't, we don't talk about it. I mean, there are certain things that it seems odd that like even churches don't talk about. Right. Because you think that would be the place where you could kind of dump your junk, right? <laughs> even if it wasn't like messy at the time. Right. It might just right. be like, hey, this this may be going too far or I'm struggling. My wheel's going out about. of balance. I'm, yeah, this you, area of my life is starting to... You really get, can't yeah. open up with any of that. Um so I want I want to come back to what alcohol does to your body. Okay, that's fine. Because last last year during COVID, um, I gained twenty pounds, <laughs> and I was looking back to see what changed in my habits. Mm -hmm. And the only thing that changed was I quit doing cardio workout okay. because I was building the tiny house. Okay, and it was just because I was getting up early well, that's and doing some cardio it. So, right there. Yeah, I, I mean think. it was. <laughs> I, I felt like I was exercising, and I was. The other habit that changed was. Uh, I started drinking bourbon. Now, I didn't start drinking bourbon during COVID, but I started drinking a lot more of it. A lot more of it, yeah. And <laughs> I was mixing it with Dr. Pepper. I never drink sodas, but mixing it with... I was drinking about two cans of soda a day with the bourbon. Right, right. So, that, I know, a soda is the equivalent of a candy bar. So, I know I gained weight. I mean, 20 pounds, you do a half a pound a and week over a year. And the dark substances have more other things in them they have more tannins in them and other other things in them it's not as pure as like a clear kind of a substance like a vodka but yeah okay so i want to come because and then so a I gained sprite weight. versus a dr pepper so okay so yeah. now i'm i'm losing that i mean I, yeah. I think i'm back to where i was now pretty much um but i would be interested in okay what else was going on <laughs> and let me see just personally firsthand but first before we go to that i want to know like, how did you get into this? When okay. does the light bulb go off and go, all right. This is... Because <laughs> I've known you for a few years and wouldn't go, oh, she's struggling. Oh, my gosh. There were so many times when we went to your church and I had a terrible hangover. <laughs> Not, but, but you but, should be able to. Like, this, you should be able to go to church with a hangover. Yeah, I sat in the back and... <laughs> yep, that's right. Um, well, so I... The household I grew up in... Um, Alcohol was just kind of always there. My parents drank and okay. everything. Holidays, definitely. You know, we had the endless cocktail hour. And then, you know, dinner might happen. <laughs> um, I didn't think anything of it. I mean, I was thinking of some of those early experiences before I came over here today. And I was like, oh my gosh. I remember in, I think it was third grade at a school function going up to and this was a private school up in Massachusetts and they had a full bar. This is back in the seventies, you know, and I just went up there and said, can I have a bourbon and soda for, you know, for my mom? And they're like, no, <laughs> I'm pretty sure I was in third grade. And I was like, okay, in well, third grade. Yeah. Okay. I thought nothing of it. I was like, well, that's inconvenient. She's over there talking. Do I really have to interrupt her to come over here? And they're like, yes, I can't give you a bourbon and soda. I'm like, all right, fine. And, then, but it, you, but you were that casually around it, is what yeah, you're getting at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's just what they drank. And, yeah. 
And then we traveled to Denmark often. And um, I don't know back then, you know, in the 70s, if airplanes had those little bottles or if they charged you for it or something like that, I'm sure wouldn't want to pay for a little bottle. But so my parents had back then there was a gas station called Mobile. I think Exxon. Bottle. I remember it. You remember Mobile? Yes. Okay. So they had this little opaque white bottle, a squirt bottle. I think it was probably a half quart for oil, motor okay. oil. <laughs> and that was their bourbon flask. <laughs> was the motor oil the bottle? Yeah, okay. they washed oh, wow. it out, of course. But so I remember on the plane, you know, they just order the the club soda, and then here's your mo- here's your mobile oil. Oh And wow. I got a kick out of it. I thought it was hilarious. I thought they were so cool that they had their mobile oil. And <laughs> yeah. People look at them kind of funny, but you know, it might have been my dad trying to save a few pennies, but. Anyway. But but it was but but you guys were casually around this is yeah, what you were getting yeah. at like this wasn't a big they were totally functional and everything yeah you know? we didn't go without my dad was an engineer had a successful business all of that kind of stuff my mom didn't work outside the home but um, you know it was it but he was liked just, his alcohol yeah okay yeah so um, I remember the first time I ever tasted Jim Beam and I was probably. Well, I don't, I don't know exactly, but young. Um, I was pretty young, I guess. I was just curious about it. It was awful. I spit it out all over the wall. And that's actually a pretty important point because we are not born with a taste for alcohol. It's an acquired taste. Well, that's what everybody says. Like, oh, you don't like beer now or, you know. You'll I mean, like it. Just yeah, keep drinking it and you'll eventually yeah, you, like, like it. You, yeah, yeah. You have to acquire it. Yeah, but um, we are not born with that. And I remember one day my dad, he pulled, I was never able to drink Miller Lite because I was a kid and he pulled out this can that was under the car seat in the summer, you know, so it's summer car hot can. And it's Miller, Miller Lite. Lite. I mean, that's not Wall Street And either. he opened it up and took a big giant swig and said, Ah, and I was like, I was ready to just hurl, right? Yeah. I was like, that's disgusting. So, and then his favorite thing would be to um, microwave it and mix it with clamato juice. <laughs> what? So, you know, I didn't grow up like, I was like, huh, it's amazing I ever even decided to try it in the first place. But um, yeah, we are not born with a taste for alcohol. And some people will say, oh, well, I give a little nip into the baby's bottle and it helps him sleep. But yeah, I don't know what's going on with that scenario. But, you know, if anybody can think back to the time that they ever tasted something, it, yeah. they most likely didn't like it. And, um, and then later on, we changed that thought pattern. We well, it's like cigarettes too. Nobody just picks up a cigarette and is like, right. oh, that's the best thing I've ever... Right, you know, right. I interrupted you. Sorry, I just made that yeah, connection no, where you were... Exactly. All these things yeah. that are unhealthy. Yeah, yeah. We don't tend to have this affinity for them naturally. Right, right. Okay, so... Um, and Brussels sprouts, I guess we kind of grow that. I don't know. Our taste buds do change, but... Um, but... What happens in the work that I do, we really look at what's going on in your mind and your thoughts and your beliefs about things. Yeah. And questioning. There's a lot of curiosity involved and questioning and just like, huh, that's funny. I always thought alcohol tasted really good. I thought, you know, a nice glass of red wine or white wine or whatever. I thought I thought I liked that taste. But is it true? Could it be true that that's just kind of a a lie I've told myself that it actually, I didn't really start out that way. And that was one of the beliefs that was one of the last ones to go for me. But, but with 
um, this Naked Mind, that's the program that I got certified with, um, that's what we do. We, we question beliefs about, about alcohol especially. Like a lot of people believe it relaxes them. Well, is that really true? And actually, if you go and look at the science of things, um, alcohol is not, does not relax you. It totally screws up your sleep patterns. It leaves you with higher adrenaline and cortisol levels during the day, even when you're not drinking, just, you know, every day. So it leaves you with higher anxiety levels. And then people think that if they have a drink, it'll calm down their anxiety levels. So but it actually, it's just feeding the beast. So you end up, yeah, drinking more. You're right. You end up drinking more. And the thing is, it creates its own vacuum. It creates the, its own desire. <laughs> um so when did it wake up for you? So you had this experience okay. when you were growing up. It's very yeah. So then just I, you know, I would, I would, I, you know, learn to party and learn to like beer and all of that stuff. Um, those are all learned behaviors. So if they're learned, we can unlearn them. Um, that's a, I think that's important for people to grab. That onto. is, it is, yeah, because it's not a hopeless situation. I mean, if I could change this, I am not a good rule follower. And I don't consider myself a super disciplined person. <laughs> you know? I, um, and so if somebody is to tell me, you can't drink, I'm like, uh, 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 you know, <laughs> fire alarms go off. Yeah. So I don't like to hear that. Um, it's a different story if I choose not to drink. And so, um, let's see, I was going to say something. I just lost that train of thought. So you were anyway. used, to, well, we were talking about your story. Like, when yeah, did it so click to you? How, or like, it's it so commonplace. You get into it. When does it shift and think, man, I've got it, to do something about this. Yeah, it, it crept up on me for sure. And it was, we had a transition period in life and there were all of a sudden like a lot more people hanging around the house and everything. And by nature, I'd say I'm more of an introverted than an extroverted person. Um, and you got and, into the Cook family, which, which is, that, I mean, but, I've already said it, like, which that's yeah. like a loud, well, outgoing, but fun they, group yeah, of people. Yeah, they, they are. I love them to death. Um, and they had, they multiply. They have a lot of friends that come over. We were <laughs> they living do in multiply. Grand Central Station. And, um, I mean, Brad and I, we were amazing drinking buddies. We had a lot of fun together, but... Um, I think it might have been around that time, and these two things might have happened just coincidentally or you know simultaneously both I was getting older and for older women especially alcohol tends to have you know it just creeps up on you you know it just gets to be kind of a crutch for you and um, more so for women than for men Um, so I was getting older and then I jumped into Grand Central Station and so that's when I think Alcohol really start. I started drinking more for stress relief or more for escape type things than just to, I don't know, more casual reasons. Yeah. And it's when it goes down to a deeper level like that, that that's when it starts to really grab hold of your mind yeah. and, and take over. And you get like the little voice in your head you know we always we all have voices running along in our head and everything but you know when it's a repetitive voice and telling you oh go have a drink oh a drink would make this trip to the zoo better oh a drink would make this meal better oh a drink would make this movie better you know then yeah you know that's when you know it's when it's repetitive like that it's it's not a good voice well, okay so let me clarify there by grand central station i don't mean this was a 
party house. This is oh, just no, 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 no. Just, no well, just so people know, house. like it this was, is not a house where there's like not just a flop everybody's house. drinking. This is just right, a no, house. No, with it was a, just a lot of people. You married into a family that's just it's th- just doesn't a lot meet of strangers. They, right. Yeah. Everybody they hangs love out. To, the Y'all last come name over. is Cook. They love to cook for people, and yeah, it's um, it was not a party house. But to me, as an introvert, it was it's a exhausting. Yeah. And I needed to recharge, and because that's you know introverts, we like people, but, <laughs> but just not all the time. Off, so and yeah, not all the time, and not with all of their friends too. And um, yeah, Brad would just make ten chickens at a time. He's like, someone's gonna eat it. I'm like, oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> so getting older, yeah, life getting situations, older, yeah. and that's an easy crutch. Like it's it the was just becoming storm of just so. Yeah, just exactly. Drinking alcohol all the it time was easy. instead of, and it's an and it's an acceptable thing, you know. Right. Really, it's not. There's certain habits that are not acceptable. Right. But this one is kind of one that's mainstreamed. It is easy. Massively accepted. It's so widespread and encouraged. It is. It is. Hey, y'all come over. We'll have a drink. And I mean, look at you know cocaine. That's not a acceptable you know i'd never let somebody start doing cocaine in front of my family or my child or something like that you know but if they were going to have a glass of wine and and even get tipsy in front of my child you know that's that just kind of happens barely a day goes by that we don't see or hear of somebody drinking you know and it's it's yeah, there's so much marketing, and that's that's a whole other rabbit hole that we. <laughs> so when does the but line for, get for you to where you go? Me, hey, I'm doing something. This is it was jumped. It was my son was about ten, and he was starting to be like, "Mom, you smell bad," and he didn't like it. He could. He and I have a really close connection, and he could yeah. tell that it changed me somehow. And he didn't think my jokes were so funny. I thought I was hilarious, but he didn't agree with that. And um, (laughs) so it it was really for him that I was like, okay, I don't want to be that parent. I don't want to be, I want to be present with him. I don't want to miss out on his childhood because of this stupid alcohol, because of wine or something. You know, even though I thought I was having a pretty darn good time. Yeah. Uh, if it weren't for him, I, I don't know that I would have stopped. But so initially it was really for him. And then as I started getting into it and doing the work and everything, I realized, oh my gosh, it doesn't, it's all lies. It's all empty promises. It doesn't fulfill the promises that the marketing people tell us it will. <laughs> it didn't give me that gorgeous body on the beach <laughs> and, um, you know, those great legs and all that stuff. And, um, you know, my makeup didn't quite look like the girls in the magazine pages and, and everything. But yeah. um, but so now, so once I started realizing that and realizing my own freedom from it, then now it's full on for me. It's, you know, I have absolutely no desire for it anymore. And that's, that's the key thing is that the desire is gone. So now I have no temptation whatsoever. So you could have the bottle of my favorite Sauvignon Blanc right here in front of us. And I'd be like, nah, <laughs> I don't even want it. So not, no, not even any casual drinking. Not, like there's no I don't care if people are drinking around me. Actually, yeah, it doesn't offend you. It's just. Actually, I feel sorry for them because I feel like there's a message that they would benefit from learning. There's so much misinformation and people are so duped by it. And, and I feel sorry for them. Okay, so tell us, what, what does alcohol do to the body or 
to the mind. I, I mean, take that any way you want to it. What what are what are people missing? They're missing that they can actually they can have freedom from it. They can they can really analyze their own thoughts. It all comes from their thoughts. That's where all our behavior comes from. And questioning does it really do what I think it does. I think it relaxes me. I think it reduces my anxiety. I think it makes me sleep better. I think it makes me funnier. I think it makes sex better. I think anything. Um, question those things. And does it really do that all the time, 100% of the time? Or sometimes are you not really quite as funny as you think you are? Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, if there's, if there's any room for doubt in there, then there's room for doubt in there, you know? And um, I've just found that by doing all that mind work, it has given me like fearless confidence that I have never had before. So imagine when you you beat this, it it does unlock other areas because you start when you do the mind work and ask questions about this, you inevitably ask questions about other things. Right, and when you grow it's in this area, you inevitably... It's taught me to trust myself. Okay. It's taught me that I make good decisions. Tell me about that. Um, it's taught me I can be happy just walking down the street and looking up at the clouds. I mean, while I was driving here, I was looking... We had some beautiful puffy cumulus clouds today, and I was just like, that is... That just makes me feel so small in this whole big world, but still so significant and so appreciative of just nature around us. And it's just so centering and grounding. And I mean, it's just amazing. And a glass of wine can't do that for you. So is it maybe, you know, we're numbing out of something. Yeah. And we numb out, we're missing. You I mean, numb, numb all of your feelings. Thing, you, you, you can't selectively numb. That's a really important fact right there, too. When you are numbing anything, you're numbing everything. And yeah, there is pain in life, you know, but you're better off to feel it, address it. That's when you can decide, is there something I can do about this? Or is, do I need to, is there not something I can do about this? Do I need, you know, with, with whatever pain, you know, a death of somebody or an accident, an economic crisis. How about a pandemic? You know? Right. Um, well, I mean, they, they said that was one of the big things that was up last year was... Was alcohol. Yeah, people it was trying alcohol. To escape. Yeah, people but the thing is, when you can escape from that, the... you can escape from boredom. But you know what? Boredom also triggers your mind to try to think of something new to do. Boredom stimulates your creativity because you're tired of being bored, you know? Yeah. So you're trying to think, well, what can I do with this... I mean, what can I do with this little stick? Or what, okay, what can I do in this mud puddle? You know, it's like, it's, it's not that instant gratification that, that we get now with video games and stuff like that. But, you know, a kid 20 years ago could totally entertain himself for a week with a wooden spoon and a flower pot. I mean, I think that's the thing we've missed at culture is when I was little, we did not have phones on us. Right. We had video games, but we yeah, we just yeah. didn't play them that often. You had to like go out of your way to, to yeah, play them. It, it yeah. Was, yeah, it was not, there was no online anything. Right. And it wasn't the, the high hit of dopamine stimulation that the video games now give you. And yeah. um, I mean, so we dopamine were... is a, it's a transmitter in your brain and people think of that as the addiction hormone, but, or trans, but it's really not. It's more of wanting and liking 
and just it stimulates pleasure centers in your brain and when you get a hit of dopamine like a text message ding or something it's hard to resist checking your phone what's that ding something something important you know yeah notification or um when you get those things it's hard to resist and that's where um you know physically a lot of those habits can be formed and it's what's interesting is those pleasure centers don't get that level of stimulation from natural sources it has to be an artificial stimulation to create like an addiction it um like with sex you know intimate love with your partner is one thing pornography is a whole nother thing you know that's a whole nother realm that stimulates the dopamine different um a little wooden child's gun is one thing but you know machine gun with first person shooter games where you're doing all this thing you know that's much more stimulating yeah and you know a bowl of raspberries is one thing but something with all the high fructose corn syrup in it and, and high sugar content that's a whole nother kind of thing that then creates sugar addictions and you know it's it's interesting to learn about all the brain chemistry and stuff. I tend to get into all that, but I, <laughs> I do see eyes glaze over the, when I want to go. But the thing you guys are doing are science back though. It's yeah. Not, I, I, so yeah, even if yeah. people, I mean, it's like getting in an airplane. You don't have to, if you're riding in the plane, understand how aerodynamics works. True. And but but you can still enjoy the flight and benefit. Same thing when somebody comes to you for this help. They don't have to understand the science, but they will benefit from the science right. that propels the vehicle. You said that just perfectly, Andrew. That was that was perfect. Awesome. So um, okay, yeah. so, so you so you get on this journey, you get certification to help people. Yeah. yeah. So how does somebody find you, and then what does that whole thing look like? Okay. So if I say okay, I've, I've got to kick this habit. I've been drinking. I'm curious if life can be good without without it. Yeah. You know, it's. Um, my website is being constructed right now. It's going to be really awesome. I'm so excited about it. Um, but for right now, they can email me. At okay. I'll Ing- put it in the show notes. Okay. It's Ingrid at drcook.com. Is that going to be the domain for the website? It is. Yeah. Okay. Dr. So that'll Ingrid be easy. Cook. Yeah. Right yeah. there. Yeah. All right. And so they reach out to you and then what's the path that they, they decide they want to work with you? What does that initially look like? Um, I like to do uh, group sessions with in a three-month time period. Um, I also do the one-on-one coaching. I like to do it on Zoom, but if somebody doesn't want their um, face or you know, I respect their privacy. I'm I'm ready to work how how they want to work. But um, I like using a program that was produced by this Naked Mind, and it's a three-month program. And people will get a video each day and a written format and then also journal prompts. And then with the group, we'll meet once a week as a group. And there's there's something magical that happens with that community aspect of being in a group and participating with a group. And, you know, and we would have like our own little group where they can communicate with each other and stuff, probably yeah. on Facebook. Um and they will also have access to me directly through a really cool app called Voxer. It's like a walkie-talkie app. Yeah. And so they can leave me messages, and it's separate from text messaging and all of that stuff, and then I can respond to them. And then I also want to have one-on-one calls with them at least once a month. So, yeah, so I, I'm running those groups 
and I'm doing those every three months. I keep the limit to 10 people per group. What's the, uh, what's the benefit of like group therapy for the person? They get to hear about other people's experiences because really we all have so much more in common than yeah. we think we do. We, and I know this was true for me too, I felt very alone in this journey and I didn't feel I had anybody to talk to. I didn't think anybody else understood what I was going through and... I didn't want to have to go to a therapist or something because that meant something was wrong with me. But um, really, when you ingest an addictive substance, guess what happens? <laughs> yeah, it, it messes with your yeah, mind. Messes. You know, it's very predictable. And so anybody really is on that downward slope. You know, you never hear of somebody drinking less as they get older. You know, even you said you started drinking more bourbon. You know, it's like. Take college experiences aside for a minute, but you know it's like well, that's kind just, of an anomaly. They, yeah. yeah, that's a, that's a whole different thing. But people just tend to drink more and more and more, and it might not be a drastic increase, but it's very slow. You know, for me anyway, it was a slow, insidious thing that I was like, oh my gosh, now all of a sudden, it's like hard to not drink for a day, and what's wrong with me? It was scary. I was scared, like, am I becoming an alcoholic? Is that what's going on? And it was really pretty scary. And it was frustrating because I didn't want to drink. I wanted to not drink. But then 5 o'clock would come and that little wine witch voice would take over. And before I knew it, there I have a glass in my hand, you know. And and that's what's called cognitive dissonance. You, you're doing something you don't want to do. And that's what by exploring your subconscious mind, by exploring your beliefs and your thoughts that you're not aware of. You know, this is in the subconscious realm, but it's your subconscious mind that really runs the show. That's what drives your yeah, behavior. Yeah, it drives a lot. It yeah. drives a lot, yeah. And it's driven largely by pleasure. We want to run away from pain and towards pleasure, but um, those are some of the driving forces for it. But it runs the show. It's emotion-driven. It's not logic-driven. They are two separate parts of your brain, and they really don't communicate very well <laughs> until you start digging in and exploring it and shedding light on what's going on. Then all of a sudden, that subconscious mind loses its power. And so that's like for me, for example, I have zero temptation right now to, to have a drink. I won't say that I never will again. Because uh, I won't know until I'm dead if that was actually true or not. But what I can say for right now is I drink as much as I want to whenever I want to. And it just happens to be that I None. don't want to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like if you put a bunch of cocaine on the table for me. I'm like, no thanks. I'm, or I've never been a cigarette smoker. Want a cigarette? No. Not for me. Thanks, but no. <laughs> yeah, so it's the same. It's so similar, yeah. Uh, what would be like a telltale sign uh, that somebody needs to reach out and grab help? That If they're drinking more than they want to, more yeah. than they intend to, or drinking when they didn't really plan on drinking. You know, I, I mean, a lot of people, I for one certainly set all kinds of rules for myself. Okay, I'll have two glasses of wine. Or I'll wait till Friday or, you know, I'll, I'll have a glass of water in between glasses of wine or something. None of that worked. So if you start moving that the goalpost and setting yeah, all these none of, none of that none of that worked. And then what it did was I would fail and fail and fail. And 
it was just the more I failed, the more scared I got. Okay, and that's the sign. Any of that is any of that. No shame. No just, shame whatsoever. Just reach no, out. Yeah. No, go for freedom. Yeah. There's no shame in that whatsoever. Well, I think, you know, there's this there's this verse in the New Testament that I, I kind of land on a lot. It seems lately where in 1 John 1, 7, he talks all about walking in the light. Mm-hmm. And we tend to hide that stuff. Yeah, yeah. But he says, no, no, when you walk out in the light, like that's when two big things happen. Number one is com- community happens. Yeah. Because he says you walk in the light. Then you have the word he uses in the Bible is fellowship with one another. It's yeah. really connection with other people. Connection, yeah. So all of a sudden you're like, oh, golly, you too. Yeah, yeah. me too. And realizing oh, you're not golly, alone. I'm not, I mean, we're all hiding the same thing and, because we're afraid nobody else has the same thing. But then you get it out there and everybody's like, oh, so true. gosh, yeah, me too. Okay, so you get connection. And then also that's when cleansing happens. That's what yeah, John says. Absolutely. Absolutely. You, you get it out and it's That's so true. Then you so can move true. forward. And I think sometimes the stranglehold that this stuff, whether it's alcohol or any other habit that's a harmful habit, has on us, it exists in the secrecy of it. Or mm-hmm. just the secrecy mm-hmm. with yeah. a few other drinking buddies or whoever yeah. buddies that are kind of trusted on the end. And I, I think that's why in the, at the end of the book of James, he says, and this is kind of a tricky, misused Bible verse too. He says, confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. And it's he, the big thing is confess it to each other, not confess it to God. God's already forgiven it. It's, yeah, when, you, it's when you open it up to each other yeah. that you're like, oh, it's like just like what John said. Oh, you too. Okay, golly. Yeah. Now we can yeah. be healed yeah. because... We got the skeleton out of the closet. And exactly. You get the skeleton out of the closet, you realize the skeleton's just bones. He doesn't have muscle, tendons, sinew, ligaments. I he doesn't love have any that. breath or life. Exactly. It's just, just a bunch of bones. Now we can really deal with it. Right. It's not so, controlling you anymore. Yeah. It's, it's scary it's when a, it's hidden. Yeah, like a mouse and a screechy sound in the dark basement, you know, and then you realize it's just a little wind blowing on a vent or something <laughs> this it's big monster nothing. thing yeah it's this has been uh super helpful insightful for me um anything else that you want to add before i close this out mm-hmm. well when i work with people i'm i'm a very um analytical kind of a person and so i really want to make it work for the person you know it's I will not, I feel so strongly about this that if one person isn't hearing the message correctly one way, then we find another way. And so like journaling is amazing. That's really powerful. I myself, I am, I have a hard time with journaling. It's just not my, my thing. But, um, so that's where everybody kind of responds to a different way, but I have the structure of a program and then, and that's why I like to have those individual calls with people because that's where they can really explore their own particulars yeah. of their life. But, you know, sharing it with the community is, is really huge. And not having that shame. It's it's not their fault. That's a big thing to accept. That getting addicted to an addicted, addictive substance is not your fault. That's what the stuff is designed for. That's right. what the industry wants you to do because they make billions of dollars off of you drinking. You know, they don't want you to not drink. They want you to drink. You know, yeah. and that's 
no blame to them because they're in business, you know? So that's what they're trying to do. It's just what they're doing is rough. But it's not your fault, it's your responsibility. And that's a mantra that I've really grown to like. Not your fault, your responsibility. That's a good, that's a good place to end. So as I shut this one down, we do this the same way every single week. You just pray for the people that are listening. Yeah. Um, and so my prayer for you this week is that the Lord would bless you, that He'd keep you. He'd be gracious and shine His face of favor upon you. May you remember the words that were spoken in the gospel that it is for freedom that Christ set you free. Straight from the Apostle Paul, just echoing what he'd heard from the other apostles. Don't be bound by any yoke of slavery. That's it. Grace, peace. I'll see you again soon.